Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Score! Yes! Kings win the cup! Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Hi, everybody. This is Vin Scully, and here's Ted Sobel. Well, thanks, Vinny, and your voice certainly fits here as we get ready for a special two-part series due to the fact that the length and special nature of my interviews with some old friends who just happen to be some of the biggest names from the greatest draft in Major League Baseball history. We'll also be paying tribute to the late Bill Buckner, who recently passed away at the much too young age of 69 after battling a lengthy disease that we'll get into a bit later on. I had the incredible opportunity of growing up with the greatest draft class ever before I turned 15 in 1968. The Dodgers produced the best draft class by selecting 15 kids who would make it to the big leagues including Buckner. And back then, that draft was conducted in four different phases, two in January and two in June. Sounds complicated? Well, it certainly was for everybody except for Dodger scouting director Al Campanis, who somehow struck it rich with so many great picks. As in the following amazing list of names, how about these guys from the Dodgers, like Davey Lopes, Steve Garvey, Ron Say. That's three-quarters of the incredible infield that lasted nine seasons at Dodger Stadium. Add Tommy Pachorik, Doyle Alexander, Jeff Zahn, Bobby Valentine, and Joe Ferguson to that list, and you got to marvel at how much success was to follow. Possibly a few Hall of Famers in there, if not for the old injury bug. Then a couple of years later, I was hanging with some of these guys. I helped Valentine move into his first beautiful home on the same street that Scully lived in the Pacific Palisades. I was at Bill Buckner's earliest apartment in L.A. in Marina Del Rey when he roomed with Steve Garvey. I remember Garve walking into the place just after moving in with his suitcase still in hand. It was just an early bonding that I'll never forget. And here I was loving baseball and those kids who were just starting out their careers allowed me to be around to share some really fun moments along with my friend and high school mate Larry Kahn who's made quite a name for himself as the network play-by-play announcer for his own Sports USA radio network and we've worked together for the past 13 years calling college football games of the week and NFL doubleheaders on Sundays. But for this one, we'll be talking baseball and a lot of great names and times for us as teens with Valentine Say, Pachorik, and Joe Ferguson all leaving us tickets on occasion. And I got to see the game from the inside like few will ever get the opportunity, certainly not as a 16 and 17 year old. I knew this was a special class when it happened, but of course, no way to judge how great they would be when looking back as the best in the history of the game. Billy Bucks wanted to be at first base so badly, but with another friend at the time, Wes Parker, enjoying his best years as a Dodger, Buck had to settle for playing outfield. He was one of the most intense players I'd ever been around and could consistently hit the ball harder than anybody I'd seen up close. There was even a different sound of the ball coming off of his bat, just extremely 
impressive to anybody who was a student of the game. But Bill wasn't as open to letting me get close to him like some of the other guys were, so I mostly enjoyed his play on the field and let that speak for itself. And what an unbelievable career he had. Probably the most underappreciated hitter in the last 50 years, and in my mind, a certain Hall of Famer if he'd stayed healthy. It's a sick world knowing that Buck will always be remembered for one play when he shouldn't have been in the game anyway in that World Series, but those of us who watched him and knew better will never forget his hitting prowess. In this first of a two-part series, I'll be talking with Steve Garvey, Ron Say, Manny Moda, Bill Russell, and Tommy Pachorik, and then part two next week, Tommy Lasorda and Bobby Valentine. Back on June the 1st, the Dodgers held what they used to call the old-timers game, but whether that's not politically correct anymore, I have no idea, but it's now called the alumni game, and there were a bunch of ex-Dodgers there that was great to see their faces again. How about Nomar Garcia-Para, Sean Green, Kevin Gross was on hand, just uh, recently retired, James Loney, Steve Sachs, Jerry Royster, Daryl Thomas, and it's always great to see Maury Wills and Tommy Davis along with Steve Yeager. But this night was also a very special one for Steve Garvey, who became the second inductee into the new Legends of Dodger Baseball, joining Don Newcomb there. And Garb was the first one I sat down with pregame, talking about some old stories, including his friend Billy Buckner and what this night meant to him on a personal basis. Joining us here on Touching Greatness from the stadium is the great one himself, Steve Garvey Garve. First of all, congratulations on your honor today. Thank you so much. Bobblehead night. Yeah, exactly. They're bigger than ever. (laughs) Uh, But to be part of this first class of the Legends of Dodger Baseball is is quite an honor. And uh, to have started at the age of seven as a bat boy in spring training in Florida, sitting next to Hodges and Perillo and Reese and Campanella, and then uh, 12 years later out of Michigan State being drafted by him, and the journey from then till now uh, has been a significant part of my life. First time I saw you that I remember off the field was with Billy Buckner when I believe you guys moved in together for a short time early on. Is that correct? 1970. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we both made the team and we uh, were at Oakwood Garden Apartments in wow. uh, Marine Del Rey. Yep. And uh, the first night we came to the game and we both started. I think we went headless and the Reds beat us and we went back uh, the apartments pulled up and there were six police cars with flashing lights. <laughs> My Lord, what's happened? And we go inside, and there was a recreational building that was a party that night. And somebody had laced the potato chips with LSD. And there was a, there was a, some problem with one of some of the guests and patrons. We looked at each other. What? This is Los Angeles. Are we ready for this? Kid from Vallejo, California, in Tampa, Florida. Uh, but that was... Uh, that was the most exciting of times that we could figure off the field, and we went on from there to, again, eventually be a great part of this organization. 1968, the most unbelievable draft by far in history. It's really incredible. What were your thoughts at the time? I mean, did you know these guys, any of them at all? Or? Well, I had heard about several. I had played uh, baseball against uh, Tom Pesherka with him um, out of uh, Detroit. Love and Wimpy. Then, uh, Wimpy. And then against him when uh, Michigan State played Houston. Uh, in 1967 football Uh, so I knew him and then I had heard about Valentine and uh, Buckner Uh, and all of a sudden this draft 
And what happens is all of a sudden you start to you look at the biographies of the players drafted. And we had a bunch of football players. I mean, Valentine was All-American tailback, and Buckner, and the short, third-team All-American. I played, you know, most of that season, that sophomore year. So uh, For Lass- Duffy Doherty, right? For Duffy Doherty. And Lasorda loved that. He loved tough guys. And oh, got okay. us into a few fights that season to see just how tough we were. But it was uh, a draft of talent and a draft of guys who loved the game. Who love to be aggressive, and really, we we went out to outdo each other. We challenged each other to see how good we could be, and that, I think that's the reason why it was the golden era from '73 to '83. First impressions of Billy Buck? Uh, good-looking, dark eyebrows, <laughs> quiet, tremendous competitor. You know, loved to get dirty. Uh, could pull a ball better than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, and ultimately, as time went on, we would go up together and come up to the major leagues together and be on this team until 76 and then he was traded for Rick Mundy and he would go his way and I would go mine but always stay in touch and then ultimately uh, at the end of his career when you look back you look at the numbers and look what he accomplished um, he was just a tremendous player tremendous competitor one of the most underrated hitters of his era by far in my opinion oh absolutely and, uh, and again, somebody who could play multiple positions from yep. first base to so positions in the outfield, uh, could steal a base, hit the ball the other way. Um, and like I said, a fierce competitor. But if you were a father, you want your son to watch him to understand how hard you play the game. Shows how life can be unfair at times. One play with the Red Sox labels him forever. That's just a sick thought. Unfair. Um, but fans are short for fanatical. And uh, when you're frustrated with your team for decades and decades and uh, it all comes so very close and you see the ball hit and this is it and something happens. By the way, it was a bad hop. Yeah. Uh, it, it stayed down. It, it, that point slopes in the back of the infield at Chase Stadium like because it's flattened it on, out, on, right? a, on a landfill. Right. And I was in the uh, audience that night and I looked up and said, Lord, thank you for not letting it be me. Wow. But the way he handled that, the adversity yeah. uh, with dignity, really was a put him in, in quotations as the kind of a human being he was. And that's why we all loved him and admire him. And sadly passing, but is, uh, he's fully restored and, and uh, without pain now. And we're happy for him. Did you know that he was going through some issues? I did. I did. So early, as early, or as late as January, still able to travel. So I'm in New York. Uh, and he told me about his dementia at that time. And, uh, of course, uh, I tried to keep tabs. Uh, didn't hear much, which, did, which wasn't good. And then realized suddenly he was, you know, that severe. Part of a special team and a special yeah, draft. Absolutely. Right. And 68 is unbelievable, isn't it? It was. 68 and then the 1970 with the Spokane Indians, yep. arguably the best minor league team in history. So pretty good uh, starts for careers there. The last thing, anybody specific you want to see today that you haven't seen in a while at all? Uh, no, you know, just seeing the guys. Yeah. I, it's just nice to see different guys. I saw Mark Marshall in the elevator. It was great to see him catch up where they are, what they're doing. Because, again, we are a band of brothers, and we want to make sure that everybody is, uh, is still doing well, and even if we are getting shorter and older. Great to see you, sir. Congrats on this honor. Thanks so much. 
And then I got a few minutes with another important part of that incredible long-term infield, Ron Say, who came out of the state of Washington and joined the Dodgers organization in that 1968 draft where he made a name for himself and certainly was a big part of the Dodgers' success through the 70s and into the 80s. And another guy I got to know right when he was called up from the beginning in the early 70s to be a part of that fantastic Dodger infield. Ron Say, 1968 draftee like so many others here today. First of all, Penguin, good to see you. And how much fun is uh, always this kind of a get-together? Uh, it's great because uh, you know it's an opportunity for the fans to come out and watch uh, players who represent the history and tradition of the Dodgers and uh, that they probably did not get a chance to see, uh, in some cases, play. Uh, but the indelible aspect of them carving themselves into history and tradition is there and now you know they get the chance to see these players come out and be together for a day 1968 draft the best ever it's not even yeah. a thought i mean right. when you were drafted at the time how much did you know about some of these other guys uh, i really didn't know too much about it uh, uh, you know it's a random selection uh, as far as you know the players that are out there um, you know i just felt that it was you know my opportunity to uh, to make a move here, I thought it was better than the first one that I had when I was drafted out of high school because we were uh, also dealing with the Vietnam War. Yeah. If you didn't have a, a deferment, a school deferment or otherwise, uh, you know, you were going to do your basic training and AIT and you're going to be heading off to uh, Vietnam. So uh, uh, that was a that was also uh, a matter of strategy in my thinking about you know, hey, listen, if I start my career now. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be 1A and I'm going to Vietnam. So it was a way to prolong that a little bit. And later on, I got into a reserve unit that uh, alleviated that problem. So uh, yes, the '68 draft is heralded as the uh, the best draft in uh, Major League history. And we lose Billy Buck this week. Just thoughts about him. I mean, I go back with you guys from the start. I remember you guys were roommates early on. We were, and actually, uh, during this period of time when we were uh, uh, drafted, uh, the next spring, uh, we were both in school, uh, as we needed to be, uh, the time that spring training started. And when school got out, uh, we had missed pretty much all but a couple of weeks of spring training. And uh, I flew with uh, uh, Buck and uh, the flight crew and Marge Roundtree on the Dodger plane. Vero Beach. We were the only two players on the on the, really? uh, on, the on the flight, and so I got a I had a good opportunity. I'd played with his brother that summer uh, after we signed, and so I had uh, kind of a an inside understanding of Bill Buckner and what he was about. But uh, terrific player, uh, guy could play for me anytime. Uh, he's going to be uh, sorely missed. Um, so many great stories of, uh, of him. Uh, probably have more stories about him than I do anyone. Can you and, give us uh, one from that that you, oh, that you can say? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, uh, the the one of the couple that I tell is yeah. we were facing Nolan Ryan one night, and <laughs> Buck's locker is next to mine. And out of just curiosity or something to talk about before the game, literally 20 minutes before the game, I said, "So, how are you going to approach it, Nolan, tonight?" And uh, he gets serious on me, and he says, Penguin, he says, if Nolan's throwing like he can, 
He's going to throw 95 plus all day long, and uh, it's probably going to be in a place where I can't hit it. So as soon as I see that curveball, I don't care where it is, I'm <laughs> swinging at it. Okay, so I'm starting to laugh like you are now, yes. and I'm saying there's absolutely no way in the world I would have any chance at all of going up and looking curveball off of Nolan Ryan and being successful because he'd probably bury one in me somewhere. Exactly. So, yeah, I uh, I just looked at it. I said, okay, well, you take your style and I'll take mine. <laughs> Did he go three for four then? I don't know. You don't remember. I don't recall. All I do is remember the story. By the way, how intimidating was a guy like Ryan because in those days especially, he had no idea where the ball was going. Oh, no, no. I, I disagree. I think that... Oh, there were a lot of high and hard ones that uh, I don't yeah, think were intentional. A, uh, well, uh, <laughs> if you know Nolan, uh, <laughs> ask Steve Sachs about that. Uh, I think Nolan had control, and I think that uh, at times not only did he like to you know throw the ball by you, but he also liked to trick you and throw the curveball. You know, I like to strike guys out with his curveball. So, yeah, he was, uh, he was that good. He struck out, I don't know thousand guys more than anybody else right i know he's from another uh, that's planet just one of those records that's not going to fall and when you look at the way they use pitchers today uh nobody pitching for 50 years can catch him how competitive was billy buck uh played through a lot of pain yep. uh you know did what he needed to do uh to help the team win uh, uh just a great great guy. I mean, probably one of the best contact hitters I ever saw. Yeah. He only struck out 400 and some times in his career, of which he had over 10,000 at-bats. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. It is. Uh, you have guys <laughs> that play two years that strike out that many times today. So, Billy Buck was a special special player, special guy. Great to see you, Ronnie. Thank you. So from Ron Say, let's go to his longtime infield partner and shortstop, Billy Russell, or maybe I should call him William, about as consistent a shortstop as you'll find during that era, and certainly a big part of the Dodger organization, played for Walt Alston and Tommy Lasorda, and then later became the Dodger manager. And even though I can only grab him for a brief couple of minutes, as he was due to be on the field to join the festivities, I did want to get his feelings for that 68 draft, which he preceded, and the loss of his teammate, Bill Buckner. We are here with Billy Russell. Not Bill. On, Bill. Excuse me. You used to be Billy. I, no, is it old-timers? No. You were Billy Russell okay, with me. Okay, Ropes. Uh, let's talk about, first of all, the 68 draft, which you weren't a part of, but it was a whole big deal for you because this formed your infield forever. I mean, how amazing was that? Well, I don't think there's ever been one since then, a draft like that. That many players got to play in the big leagues, you know. Uh, Say, Garvey, Lopes, uh, I think Ferguson was in that. Yep, Bobby Valentine. Bobby Valentine. And uh, Billy Buckner. And Billy Buckner. How about that? And all of them played in the big leagues, and all of them, you know, did well. Even uh, Doyle Alexander was in that. Jeff Zahn was in that. Dang. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, it's, it's by, it's it by far the greatest. Yeah, no question about that. Okay. So, and, and, you know, they're all good guys. They're all great ball players. Uh, they were good teammates. Some better than others, but, uh, you know, heck, we put the uniform on, we're all the same. How proud are you, though, of that era? Because we may never see that again. I don't think you will because free agency is really, exactly. and, you know, there's no longevity anymore on teams, and that's just the way the game has changed. But uh, back then, you know, the, the Dodgers, we were, they had an older team, and they were just now putting together, and that draft probably did it right there because 
they got rid of most of the other older guys, and and they brought all that in. And of course, they, we reported to we all played for Tommy Lasorda at one right. time or another, and he got a, he molded us into you know how to win and uh, and play championship baseball. And then we came in to uh, there was an older manager here, a gentleman by the name of Walter Austin, and and uh, you know he got a hold of a young crowd of, of young guys who had a lot of energy, made a lot of mistakes at first, and, you know, he's just a veteran manager, used to older players and coming from Brooklyn, but he settled in, and all of a sudden, you know, we took off in 74, went to the World Series. Billy Buckner, how good of a ball player was he, and how good of a hitter? Maybe the most underrated of his era. Well, you look at, you know, I, I didn't realize he had 27 hits, 2,700 hits. Incredible. You know, we read an article yesterday, and, and it was, and played 22 years. I didn't realize that either, but still, he was just a, a, a tremendous player, there's no question, but he, he was different. His personality was different than the rest of us. He enjoyed being on the field. He enjoyed, he didn't like it when he didn't get a hit. <laughs> Sometimes he didn't run hard down the first base, and of course, he... He could. Uh, he was brought that to his attention if he didn't get a hit. But still, Billy was a gamer. He started at first base and moved to the outfield, and and uh, you know he just wanted to hit. And he could run, and he could play play the outfield. So he was just a great teammate at the time. I really didn't realize that he was going to play that long. Bill, uh, Manny Mota saying, "Get out the air with me. Go go onto the field. Great to see you." Okay. Thank Always you. Thank you, Ted. All right. Pleasure, man. Speaking of Manuel Mota, I also got a few minutes with the Dodger who spent a lot of time around Bill Buckner and that 68 draft after he was traded to the Dodgers along with Maury Wills for one of my all-time favorite players, Ron Fairley, and Paul Popovich after Mota joined the expansion Montreal Expos in 1968 and came to L.A. in June of 69. Joining me here on Alumni Day is Manny Mota, one of the great pinch hitters in the history of the game and a guy guy who knows how to teach hitting and Manny this is why I want to talk to you about the late Billy Buckner you say that you played with him briefly tell us I played with Billy I had the fortune to play with Billy when I first come up to LA I used to platoon with Billy Buckner he was just a kid I used to play in lefties he used to play in righties but he was a good competitor he played the game hard he knows how to hit he was a good, great hitter, let's put it that way. Yes. Great hitter, good contact hitter, guy who doesn't strike out too much. He knows how to play the game, and he played the game hard. And not only that, he played the game with pain. Remember he broke his yes. ankle? And he played with a lot of pain, got to give him a lot of credit. He was a great player, and he developed himself to be a great, great hitter. I spoke to Steve Garvey, underrated hitter from his era. Really one of the best hitters for 25 years. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And sample of that, he won the batting champion, playing for Chicago Cubs. A lot of people do not remember that. They remember him by the error he made yeah. in the World Series, but unfortunately, but to remember Billy Buckner by the player he was, by the hitter he was, and also that by the great person Billy Buckner was. He was a great, great human being. 1968, unbelievable draft, right? Yeah. And it was Say and Buckner and Lopes yeah. and. Uh, so many great players, and he was part of that. I joined the, the following year, but that won't happen too often to draft so many guys like those guys you just mentioned. That was a blessing for the Dodgers to have the opportunity to draft all of those great players. And it was a special time for a special era. And just think about that also that infield, right? With That's Garvey right. saying yeah. Russell and Lopes forever. And we forgot to mention. Tom Pachorek, Tommy, yep. Bobby Valentine, yep. 
George Ferguson, and some other guys who are a part of that group. So I'm proud to have the opportunity to be teammates of those great players. I saw those kids coming up, and I saw the development, and I saw what they accomplished for the Major League. And I'm proud to say Manny Motors on Touching Greatness, the podcast. I'll always love to see you. Thank you, sir. All right. Nice to see you. Appreciate it. That's the great Manny Mota. And last but not least, I'll wrap up this part one of our special MLB 68 draft class podcast with the pride of Michigan and Houston University, where he is a Hall of Famer in college baseball. And I go way back with Tom Pachorek, with this being the first time we've spoken in many years, which is probably why we. We kept going on and on. He had so many stories. And don't miss his Vin Scully imitation. It is a classic. We glowingly welcome Tommy Pachorek to Touching Greatness, the podcast. And Wimpy, it is so nice to hear your voice again. It feels like 100 years ago. I know, Ted. I remember you when you were just a kid. That was a couple of uh, years ago. (laughs) That was a few years ago. We were all hanging out at Dodger Stadium, not really knowing what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) For no apparent reason. But it was it was such such good times and I you know, I just can't believe that all these years have flown by. You know, it's fifty one years since uh, we all signed. We're all part of that nineteen sixty eight Dodger draft. Tommy, you hit uh over 304 times, you had over a thousand hits, and when you look at your career, all those years in in the big leagues, are you surprised that you lasted that long? It's such a grueling sport, a day to day thing. Well, I'll tell you what, Dad, it's either that or get a job, <laughs> either teaching or working in the coal mines. As Tommy would say, what would you rather do? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, I played till I was forty, and yep. uh, I was very happy to do that. I was gonna, and fortunately, unfortunately for me, I ran out of teams. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny too because my last manager in profession in uh, in baseball was Bobby Valentine, and I was four years older than him. Wow. Uh, with the Texas Rangers. Great stuff. And I told my last game that I played, I hit a, I, Mark Langston was pitching for um, for Seattle, and he was going for his 20th win. And my first time up against Mark, I, I got a 2-0 count, and uh, I hit a, hit a home run. And Bobby asked me if I wanted to end my career as uh, like Ted Williams did with a home run. I said, heck no, I'm going to get signed out of this thing. <laughs> Next time up, 2-0 count, boom, I hit a double. So uh, now I always say, hey, you want to come out? And I said, no way, man. So uh, the, the third time I came up, oh, he got me 0-2, threw me one of those hard sliders that he had. I looked foolish. I struck out. And he took me out of the game. So that was my last at bat and my last game. Oh, ever. wow. You could have been Tommy Ball game if you left after the homer. I could have been. I could have been. But, I, you know, I was fortunate enough I was going to take any job. After that, unfortunately, the White Sox called with an opportunity to do some broadcasting, so that's where I wound up for the last, uh, from 1988, pretty much to the present time. So how strange was it to play for Bobby V, who you get drafted with in the same year? I mean, that's that's got to be an incredible way to end your career. Well, yeah, he was my first roommate, too. Yep. And, you know, we showed up in Ogden, Utah. I didn't know where Ogden, Utah was. <laughs> but uh, about 3 o'clock in the morning, here comes Valentine and was sort of in the room. But Tommy had picked him up at the uh, at the airport. I didn't even know where I was going. Naturally, he didn't pick me up. And I always, to this day, I said, the only reason you picked him up because he's Italian. <laughs> and I'm Polish. 
And that's why you didn't get me. But, you know, Garv was on that team. And, uh, and, and of course, Billy Buckner, God rest his soul. And uh, we really miss him. But uh, uh, it, it was a heck of a team. And, uh, you know, and Tommy was, of course, the guy in charge. You know, with, uh, you know, Ted, when we signed, I said, wow, Osorio is really something. And this guy's got all kinds of energy and stuff. Baseball must – Everybody in baseball must be like Tommy Lasorda. And it's been 51 years, and I still haven't met the second coming of Tommy Lasorda. Cause, and there never will be. Never. There never will be. You know, a lot of people say that we may have caught a bad break being drafted by the Dodgers because there was so much talent there, and it delayed our progress to the big leagues. But Tommy had convinced us that playing in the minor leagues with him was more fun than playing at Dodger Stadium. As Garvey As a told of fact, me that year, Ted, yeah. he he made us sit down and write letters to the guys that were playing our positions at for the Dodgers. You know, like Wes Parker, Willie Davis, Maury Wills, blah yeah. blah blah. All those guys. We all wrote letters to them saying that um, I hope you enjoyed your stay with the Dodgers because I'm coming to get your job soon. <laughs> <laughs> and we're rookie like the most. We always wondered why the big league Dodgers, when we did go to spring training, never liked us. Yeah, I was going to say, that must have been an awful <laughs> and awkward meeting there, right? Oh, we didn't know. We were just sort of. We, we just followed it. We did everything Tommy told us to do. Oh, that's so funny. Who was the one you wrote the letter to? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I um, uh, remember one of the outfielders. I know it wasn't Willie Davis because I couldn't play. I think Valentine wrote it to Willie Davis. Buck, uh, uh, I believe, wrote it to uh, uh, Wes Parker. Yep. And uh, uh, and so on and so forth. I'm trying to think. I don't think it was Tommy Davis still. No, I think Tommy was gone by then. Tommy was probably gone by that time. Well, that's all right. I mean, just the idea of what <laughs> only Tom, he probably did that just to say, I'm going to teach you how to be men here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and we battled our way through uh, every um, Pioneer League city that that we had, and wow. you know, and that progressed. And I got to, got to play for Tommy for um, there uh, three years of winter ball in the Dominican Republic, and then uh, uh, most of the guys that you know were on that in that draft also went down there with him, and then uh, uh, two years in Spokane and one in Albuquerque with Lasorda. Right. So you know he he produced so many players that. Uh, to the big leagues, and a great one of my favorite Tommy stories is in '72, after we had won the um, PCL championship, um, uh, Al Campanis uh, called Tommy in and said, "Boy, Tommy, you did a great job. We got nine guys off this Albuquerque team that are ready to play in the big leagues. We owe it all to you. And for that, I'm going to give you a $500 bonus." <laughs> and he looked at him and says, "But don't tell anybody." And Tommy says, "Don't worry, Al." I'm just as embarrassed about it as you are. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beautiful. For nine guys going to the big <laughs> And those guys are like Jaeger, Ferguson, Say, Lopes, uh, myself, I had Charlie Huff. I think that's uh, like $3 Jeff an hour, Brown. right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> something like that. You imagine, you know, they talk about drafts now. Yep. If they get one or two guys to play in the big league, wow, we had the biggest success story ever. We had <laughs> like, like 10 guys that got at least 10 to 15 years. In. No, and you got I four, draft. I think it was either 14 or 15 guys that got to the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you it, couldn't. It really, that, that you, if you threw the numbers up in the air, you couldn't get that lucky. I, I, you know, you're really right, and that I really thought was because the Dodgers had the best scouts. Yeah. And one of the one of the problems with uh, with baseball, I think, right now, is the fact that they don't have those eyes on the players. They're going with the uh, uh, sabermetric uh, attitude, and, and the guys that aren't trained in uh, in recognizing talents uh, are doing that job. Or what's inside a guy? Yeah. I mean, what's in his heart? What's in his stomach? Can he can he pass the test of playing under pressure? And so I think those are the things that. Uh, that the, the keen eye back then was able to unfold. These were these were old school guys, and you know, you know I know baseball is progressing in a in a different direction than what we were going back then. But I kind of like the old way myself. <laughs> it's just my own preference. Yeah, we are talking to Tommy Pachoric from the 1968 Dodger unbelievable draft, the greatest draft ever. It's not even close. It's not debatable. But Tommy, what is it about the fact that they drafted all these football players. Garvey mentioned that to me. It was like, hey, uh, Lasorda like tough guys. Does that, does that make sense to you? Uh, well, you know, I always encouraged uh, my kids and my grandkids to play multiple sports up to a, up to a, a certain limit. Uh, but, you know, back then, uh, I think the, the athlete of the day was a guy that played uh, – basketball and basketball season, football and football. And then when baseball came around, we played that also. There really wasn't any preference. Like, you know, I went to school on a football scholarship. Yep. And the reason I was able to play baseball was that Coach Yeoman, our, our football coach, said if you could start on the baseball team, then you, would, uh, you wouldn't have to go to spring football and go through Camp Fun. And you can imagine what Camp Fun was like. Oh, wow. So our whole team, our whole football team went out for the baseball team, and we eventually went to the College World Series in 1967, coming in second place to uh, Arizona State, which had all those great players, you know, back then. But uh, that, that was the, the mode. I think, I think the, the football uh, mentality, uh, I'm not a big fan of it right now because of the concussion issues that right. have been uh, uh, portrayed. But uh, back then, I think that was – I think the scouts liked guys that were performing at other sports as well as baseball, and that uh, you know, and 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 they were able to, I think, have that competitive edge over somebody that didn't, and did have the heart that Tommy always looked for, and the soul, and the, what's inside of a guy rather than his physical talent. Can he play at this level, at right. the highest level? Well, I think something that most people don't know, and I actually looked this up, Tom, uh, you being the ninth-round pick in 1968 of the Miami Dolphins, you were ahead of names like Bob Trumpy, Harold Jackson, Rocky Blyer, quarterbacks Marvin, Marlon Briscoe, Bob Lee, and Jimmy Ray. Do you remember Jimmy Ray? Oh, I played against Jimmy Ray. He was Terrence's teammate at Michigan exactly. State. Exactly. How's that for timing, though? Hey, you you, were, um, you must have been a pretty damn good football player. Well, uh, no, I was really good. You know, you know it's amazing, Ted. The older you get, the better you were. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought at the time that I, I was going to play, uh, try and play anyway, professional football my junior year. Uh, I, I got hurt a little bit my senior year, so that I think that dropped my status down. But when I when the Dolphins called me 
they made me an offer that I could really refuse. They made me an offer I couldn't, I, I could refuse, believe me. Was it the same $500 they were going to give Losorda? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty typical. Yeah, right about that. It was right about that level. But the Dodgers came up with 20000 20, for a bonus. And uh, if I would have made the team my first year with the Dolphins, I would have made close to 20. Wow. Uh, that's how much big money they were throwing around back then. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, Joe Thomas was the general manager of yep. the uh, Dolphins at the time. I spoke with him one time. And that was enough. <laughs> you know, and I have been concussed a few times in my life, as you would probably well attest to, uh, during in in uh, in in, in uh, football in, during my uh, college days yep. and high school days. So I'm actually I'm really happy that um, I didn't uh, didn't pursue football as a career because believe me, I was no Bo Jackson. By the way, uh, who hung up on who? Was it you on Joe Thomas or him on you? <laughs> I think it was mutual. <laughs> it was a it was well, a double Alexander click. You <laughs> Alexander was a Dodger scout that signed me. He was a great guy too. Oh yeah. And and uh, they had they just had some wonderful people in the Dodger organization. And uh, you know the one thing that I I remember too is the fact that it was really a family oriented uh, organization. When you started with the O'Malley's and on the way down, everybody kind of hung together, and and that's the way Tommy preached it too. Everybody hung out together, and we all, uh, um, you know, we ate together, we and we we worked out together, and just uh, you know, we and baseball was fun, and we, you know, we actually played baseball. We didn't do all that crazy weightlifting stuff that these guys <laughs> are doing right now, and you know, and we just went out and played baseball. We didn't work baseball; we played it, and that's what Tom, Tommy made it so much fun for us. And uh, and I think that, and I tried to. to uh, uh, put that on my kids anytime I coach to do the same way Tommy did. You know, yeah. I don't think a day ever goes by where I don't think of Lasorda and I say, what would Tommy say in a situation wow. like that? That's interesting. You know, and you know, there's a one story in there. It's a true story, believe it or not. It's yeah. true. We were in, and I've used this on my kids. We were in Spokane <laughs> and we had a, we had a, uh, which is the home of Gonzaga University. Sure. And one of our batting practice pitchers was Father Tom Mulcahy, a Jesuit priest. He used to come out and throw batting practice. He was a former pitcher. Yep. And he was a mean guy. If you had a home run off of him in uh, batting practice, he'd drill you. Oh, wow. and, uh, so one day we had an off day, believe it or not, and we went down to the Spokane uh, Civic Center, and they had boxing matches there. And uh, uh, Tommy um, – and the first boxer, you could see, was probably Catholic. He was uh, kneeling in his corner, made the sign of the cross, said a prayer. And I asked, I looked at Father Tom. I said, hey, Father Tom, will that prayer help him in this fight? He says, yeah, it'll help him if he can fight. If he can't <laughs> fight, he's going to get his brain beat in. That's <laughs> so, great. And Tommy said the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> The prayers of duty were a lot of good. So you just can't pray for success. You have to be able to do it, too. <laughs> That's beautiful. That is absolutely great. So who was the best football player amongst you guys from the 68 draft? Garvey or Valentine or you or who else? Was Davey Lowe? Davey Lowe played football, too, didn't he? You know, I don't know if Davey did or not. He hit it, but he had that blinding streak. Yep. You know, I think if anybody was going to go farther in, in baseball, see, I was more of a uh, defensive back. Right. Uh, and Garv was, too. 
Yep. Buck was, I knew, was a wide receiver. He could fly, but he couldn't catch Valentine. And before Bobby broke his leg, I think he's one of the fastest guys I've ever seen. Absolutely great all-around yeah. athlete, too, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, he, I think he still holds a 200-yard record for uh, sprints really? in Connecticut. You might want to look that up. Okay, that's Bobby interesting. Bobby was supposed to replace O.J. Simpson <laughs> at uh, USC if he had not signed with the Dodgers. But, uh, um, yeah, Bobby was uh, was exceptional. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just a sad situation that when he was traded to the Angels, he had that uh, – unfortunate experience in center field and it's just kind of uh you know he still got to the big leagues but he was never near the player that he could have been yep. and the same thing happened to buck too buck billy buckner was the best hitter i ever played with on the same team and buck would have probably gotten uh 3500 to 4000 hits had he been able to to play on two legs yep. because when once he hurt his ankle that one year with the dodgers um, uh, you know, his, his activity, his speed was curtailed a lot and he had to go through tremendous therapy two hours before every game before he can even get ready to play. And that's how dedicated he was. I think it shows you how great he was too, as a hitter, because when you lose an uh, ankle like that and the last part of his career, he was still ripping line drives everywhere, everywhere. You know, he played with, a, I, I, you know, one thing I was thinking about the other day when Bobby and I were reminiscing about Buck, I said, you know, I remember when he, I got to see Billy Buck when he was with the Kansas City Royals for a brief time, too. Yeah. And I and I was thinking, golly, can you imagine him and George Brett hitting back-to-back when, yeah. and both of them, those guys in their prime? Wow. That would have been so much fun because, you know, Buck struck out like 18 times a year, and he was mad if he did strike out when he won the batting title on about 700 plate appearances. You know, that's how good he was. He was uh, he was uh, uh, a, a Tony Gwynn. Absolutely. Guy, uh, uh, a, um, a, a George Brett, you know, the guys that made contact and still hit home runs. Maybe the most and, underrated pure hitter in the last 50 years. I've got to agree with you, Teddy. I think you're, I think you hit exactly right. He's remembered for one goofy incident. And is that, that sick uh, or not? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That just betrayed his life. And, and, and you can't imagine he was a great defensive player. Yep. Not good. He was great, and he could hit anyone. You ask Nolan Ryan if he could turn that fastball around. And you couldn't. You couldn't fall by him. <laughs> and I mean, and you know the one thing he Buck never gave away at that. He said that's a that's a hit, boy. That's money. Buck liked his money. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, yes. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and you know, all, and, uh, the type of impression of Billy Bucker that he's he didn't have a sense of humor. He really did. He really had a, a great sense of humor, and he could really laugh at himself. When he was coaching the um, the White Sox, we went out to play golf. It was Sam McDowell, the great left-hander. Sure. Uh, we're in Texas in Hawk. Ken Harrelson, myself, and Buck. We went out, and Buck shanked. He hit a ball that almost parted my hair. I was standing on his left. He shanked 100 balls on the course, and he started every ball he had, he shanked. So afterwards, we went to lunch, and um, uh, Buck said, I'm going to the driving range. And we had lunch, and fortunately for us, we were able to watch Buck take every swing on the driving range. He shanked. A hundred balls in a row on the driving. <laughs> That's not and easy. He came back and he looked at me and says, "Wimpy, that was quite an exhibition. I just flew." <laughs> <laughs> and I 
and he was just great. And he said, how many balls do I have left in my golf bag? And I looked at it, and he said, none. He says, that thing was full when I left. <laughs> and, you know, so Buck, Buck was one of those guys, I think one of the, probably the, one of the most misunderstood guys uh, ever. Yeah, but also Not thanks to him, doctor. though, too, Tommy. You know that. I mean, sometimes he was so serious about stuff, he would be like in tunnel vision. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and uh, you know, he was, he, he was portrayed as, a, you know, somewhat of a, a grumpy old man. <laughs> Not an old man, but... Even when he was grumpy. 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have, you have a fun you know, story about favorites. the... I want to hear your favorite. Anything. Uh, favorite about Buck? Yeah, you got a favorite story, like, uh, from the early days, like when you, when you guys first hung out together uh, coming up in the draft? Well, in regards to Buck, and I reminded, reminded Bobby of this, I said, if you look at Buck's early pictures when he first signed, when we all signed in 1968, yep. Buck bore a startling resemblance to Alfalfa from our <laughs> gang. <laughs> he had freckles all over his face. He had that, that little hairdo thing that came straight up in the air. And I, could, I contended to forever that he... He grew that mustache just so we wouldn't call him alfalfa. <laughs> that is great. But, but one time, yeah, I, I, another story about Buck, since we're on his uh, his uh, subject right now. Yeah. You, you you remember how Buck used to get angry? He hated making outs. Oh, so he was crazy. I was I, I I had a job, and you remember this, Ted, from the early days. Every time Willie Davis would antagonize the other team. <laughs> Walt Olson would send me up there to pinch hit for him so I could get hit for <laughs> Willie. Yes. And it's true. Everybody knew it. I let the team get hit. I only had a couple of hundred bats that year. So anyway, I get hit in the hand. They throw it in my head, uh, and a ball hits me in the hand where I had this severe uh, football injury when I, when I was a sophomore in college where my, the, my – Part of my finger was just kind of like hanging down, wow. and they had to sew it up at halftime. Uh, the, the the finger next to the pinky. So anyway, they they stitch it up, and I go through life and stuff like this. And that ball hit me right in that spot. Oh. It opened up all the stitches, so I'm bleeding all over the place. Meanwhile, I'm in the clubhouse getting stitches, and Buck is out on the field making the last out of the game. He takes his helmet. Throws it on the ground, and with Buck's luck, of course, the brim of the thing comes up and cuts him in the from one side of his forehead to the other, and he is bleeding profusely. So he comes in the clubhouse. We're bleeding. We just both of us looked at each other and started laughing. And so does Bill Bueller. Remember the old, sure. old trainer, Bill? Of he thought that was the funniest thing. The two of us, you know, the sort of boys, getting, getting stitched up. Um, after a game, me totally unintentionally and Buck doing it himself. That's great. So, uh, Did they call you guys Lasorda's boys around there? I think, yeah, yeah. We were, you know, we were we were dedicated more to Tommy than we were <laughs> to anything else. Uh, um, yeah, you know, Buck. And another thing about Buck, how tough he was. He broke his. He and Valentine got a collision. You asked Bobby about this yep. in the minor leagues, and he played. Uh, the rest of the season with a broken jaw, never missed a game. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Played the whole se- that was 1970, and it, incidentally, the the, uh, the 1968 draft uh, was composed, or the '70 team was composed of most of the guys in that '68 draft. Yep. Where we were voted the 
the best minor league team in the history of baseball. Uh, Garve reminded me of that when I spoke to him. He said, yeah, we were definitely the best minor league team ever. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we won over 100 games, I think, and it was it was fun. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah, and Bobby was our best player. Really? Bobby I'd... had 200, in 140 games, he had over 200 hits. He's 215 just, hits or something like just that. Just a great ball player. I wish, if, if oh, he could yeah. have just and gone you know, 10 years okay. with health, you know. It would have been oh unbelievable. Oh, my God. He would, he would have been, uh, I don't know if he would have been a Hall of Fame material, but he would have been something special. And the thing I remember about that is it was the, the friendliest competition you'd ever want among uh, the guys. You know, I wanted everybody to get hits, but I wanted to do better than them. And they wanted to do better than me. And Bobby wanted to do this and Buck and Garvin. And, that. and it just went on and on. And uh, it, it was it made it so much fun this competitiveness that we had within ourselves, which was team oriented. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys might lose lose track of that. One other story that I've got to tell you is when in, when we were in Ogden, and they needed somebody to go up to Bakersfield to to it was a, it was a promotion. Yeah. But they sent for me, and uh, instead of the other guys and. Uh, I, we were in like Pocatello, Idaho, or some Caldwell. So it sort of takes me to the airport and uh, is dropping me off. And I'm crying. I don't want to leave this team because this is like leaving my brothers, you know. Sure. We were having so much fun, Garb and Buck and Bobby and Tommy. And I didn't have – I didn't bring a suitcase on this trip, so I had all my clothes in these <laughs> plastic bags, these Kroger bags. <laughs> And Tommy came to the airport. He sees the bags and says, hey, t- hey, Rupi, what is that, your Polish Samsonite? That's great. I sure remember every one of them. You're 72 now? I, I, I don't know where I'm going from minute to minute, but I can remember stuff that happened in 1968 like it was yesterday. That's so, so great. Hey, by the way, and, and Tommy, Tommy Pachorik is our guest here on Touching Greatness. Tom, you got to tell us a story or two about Buckner and Alston because Russell started to get into it with me and then he had to run out on the field. This is at the, uh, uh, well, they, they don't call old timers anymore. They call it alumni game, which I thought pretty, I thought they were pretty old myself, but what do I know? Anyway. Oh, well, well, Buck, Buck had a bad habit of throwing his bat. He, he didn't, you yep. know, like we were saying, he didn't like, did not like, and, and Walt was the exact opposite of Tommy. You know, yep. and he did not like to see that stuff. And he said, he told Buck, if he throws another bat, he's going <laughs> to find him. And, you know, Buck did not want to give up his money. <laughs> so Buck makes it out. And he at Dodger Stadium, I'm sitting on uh, close to that, you know, where the, uh, the railing is, where yep. you, you know, where the bat rack is uh-huh. at Dodger Stadium on the third baseline. And Buck makes it out. And he's mad. He takes his bat and throws it on the ground. <laughs> and, you know, the bat started tumbling. <laughs> tumbling, rolling over, rolling, and all of a sudden it's headed right at Walt. Oh, no. And here comes Buck in a dead sprint, and he slides into the dugout. <laughs> the bat hits Walt right in the shins. Just <laughs> <laughs> a horrible shin burger. So he's trying to stop and the I bat from rolling at him, you mean? <laughs> I am. The, everything, the, the bat hit Walt right in the shins, and he went, jeez, oh. 
fuck your get out of here. You're five months. And I was just crying, laughing. Oh, so that hard is great. I had given that, uh, that, <laughs> that warning. You know, we could, I could talk all day about the guys and, you know, it's funny too, because it, it, you know, I played with so many different people. I was, I was in a doctor organization for, uh, for eight years. And uh, those are the memories that pop up most to me because of the guys and the caliber of people that we had. And, of course, Tommy was uh, was always the, uh, you know, the focal point yeah. of everything that we ever did. So, you know, the, and, the, you know, and all the other teams were great. The Braves were fun. The, uh, uh, you know, the Mariners had a great time there, the White Sox and yeah. uh, and, and the, the Mets and the, and the Rangers. But there really is no... Uh, replacing those memories that we had, uh, um, you know, with the Dodgers. And, it's, is it almost uh, and, like the other teams are extended family, but the Dodgers are your family? Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, Mr. O, Mrs. O'Malley really did a lot of that, too, when spring training, when she had, they'd always have these uh, get-togethers, yes. you know, for everybody in the organization and, uh, and, and, and really took pride in uh, in the fact that uh, you know the Dodgers were were run a little bit differently because the first team to ever have their own plane, for example. Yes. You know that, and uh, you know we flew everywhere and didn't the, have to go. The KO uh, is that one it was called, right? Yeah, KO. Yeah, KO. KO Maui. Uh huh. So uh, yeah, it was special, and of course now uh, uh, they're they're doing great. Wow, they're just uh, they're a fun team to watch. I think if I had to pick one team to be able to, uh, you know, to, to really, uh, uh, you know, to follow right now from a talent standpoint, those would be the ones, you know, you guys like uh, Bellinger and, and, and uh, boy, he, he might be the best player in, in all of baseball he right keeps now. keeps it going. The fact, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just, uh, just a Dodger. You know, it's not the Yankees. You know, you'd think that with all the mystique that the Dodgers had, they would have won a, a little bit more. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> more than 30 know. years now. <laughs> yes, I know. It's a long time I ago. Know. Hey, by the way, let's tell, let's tell the listeners out there, uh, Tom Pachorek played in one World Series, if I remember correctly, and it was for right. the 74 Dodgers, and you got yourself a couple of hits, right? No, I did get one hit. I was one for two. Oh, okay. Double off of uh, Zyda Blue, and uh, and remember was, it like it was yesterday. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got it an All Star team too. Yep. And the, the thing, uh, uh, if you want to take a highlight, that was an '81 in Cleveland. Uh, I was leading off. I led off early in the ball game, and I was facing Seaver. And this was during that strike, at, right after the strike here, and uh, the manager of Kansas City, Jim Fry wanted to play everybody. Uh -huh. So he has me lead off, and uh, I hit a uh, ground ball, which I thought was right at Mike Schmidt, and I'm running down the line. i got to beat this out, beat this out, beat this out. I wind up down the right field line, and I look up, and the coach is telling me to go to second because I had it was right down the third baseline, and uh, it was in left field corner. So I had turned... I turned a stand-up double into a single and made my only all-star appearance. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about it is that they never came back from the commercial. My parents <laughs> never got to see me get that hit. I was just oh, no. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> if you want to go on postseason activity or accolades, I guess you could go. Those are the two highlights of my career. <laughs>
Hey, wait a minute. So you're one for one in all-star appearances? That's it. You and Never your damn brother, John, are unbelievable when it comes to Mr. Well, Clutch. Well, that's right. He's three for three for a career with three, uh, three, uh, uh, two walks, three runs, three RBIs, and, uh, but it, uh, yeah, yeah. So the that, greatest yeah, hitter in the yeah. history of the game. History of baseball. The greatest. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he. Uh, well, it's unfortunate for him because he had a bad back. Yep. And uh, that was the, the curtailment of his uh, his uh, career because he never really came back. He had that surgery when he was 18 years wow. old. Wow. I... You know, it's funny too because in that game, Teddy, that made their major league debuts for the Houston Colts 45s was Joe Morgan, Jimmy Wynn, Rusty Staub, uh Sonny Jackson, uh, my brother, and, uh, you know, all those guys. So that was uh, the they, first they were, game in the in the franchise history. No, no, that was the last game of the 60. Oh, that was the last game, and they all came up yeah, at the same time? Oh, I didn't they know that. all up at the same time, yeah. And Rusty, uh, yeah, and all those guys had tremendous, you know, Joe Morgan. Of course. Goodness. John Bateman, I think, was called up sure. amongst those guys. So there was, uh, it was, it was a quite a, a team for him. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, uh, well, if you want to mention my one other claim to fame, I will uh, share this with you. <laughs> sure. And uh, I know all our viewers out there, both of them, that are listening to us. <laughs> if they're viewing, they're impressive I mean, they're because constantly. it's an audio, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> In 19... 19- in May 8th of 1984 was the longest game in the history of baseball. Okay. White Sox against the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, the game started like normal, and uh, about the third inning, or actually the top of the fourth, we would go in to the umpire's room at Comiskey and order a Connie's pizza. And the, the guys that weren't playing that day, better known as the Scrubs, would be eating the pizza. So we're in the umpire's room, and all of a sudden, one of the clubhouse kids comes out and says, Wimpy, you got a bat for Ron Kittle. I says, why? He's got a migraine foul. Man, when's he up? He says, next. So I go to, I come running through with pizza sauce all over my shirt. I get in the batter's box. I strike out on three pitches, and the game goes on. Went on and on and on and on. So it, it turned out to be 25 innings. Incredible. Harold Baines hit a walk-off home run to the bottom of the 25th inning. I get 10 plate appearances. <laughs> oh, no. I get five hits for nine at that, which is an all-time record for a guy who did not start the game. Most hits by someone who did not start the game. Of course, it took the longest game in the history of the world <laughs> to do it. But the other interesting thing on that was Tom Seaver was on our team, and we had a curfew on the 8th, and we continued on the 9th. He pitched the, uh, the top of the 25th inning and got the win and pitched the regularly scheduled game afterwards. So he, Tom Seaver won two games in, uh, in one day for the, uh, for the White Sox, which was kind of an unusual experience. That's a, that's a great story. Claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of <laughs> I got a lot of things that uh, that didn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have that many hours to talk about that. <laughs> right, right. Really. Tom, are you aware, though, by the way, that your draft not only was important to the Dodgers at the time and, you know, for the next several years, but even after that, because you got traded for Dusty Baker, Buckner traded for Monday, 
Uh, Doyle right. Alexander eventually led to Frank Robinson and Andy Messersmith coming to the Dodgers. Right. And Zahn, Jeff Zahn left for Bert Hooten. I mean, it, all of you guys meant something at the time and even after you're gone. Isn't that, that is amazing. That is amazing because there was quite a few, uh, uh, you know, moves that could be made with the, with the talent level that started over there. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a shame that everybody couldn't have stayed together and be a part of a, uh, of a Dodger dynasty. But, you know, with, you know, you have to make moves at certain times to, uh, do in what your mind is going to improve your ball club. And so, uh, sir, there was no regrets. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It was me. And, you know, that one trade, I went for uh, Jimmy Wynn, myself, uh, Lee Lacey, and Jerry Royster went for uh, Ed Goodson and uh, Dusty Baker. Of course, yep. Dusty had a great career with the, with the Dodgers. Yeah, he was so, great. You know, that panned out for him. And, uh, um, uh, you know, I carried that satchel of money over <laughs> on that deal. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> And by the way, we're going to wrap this up talking a little bit about Billy Buck. But uh, speaking of Buck, the 74 World Series, do you remember him running a double into an out at third? And, yes, I, and, and I who do. said what to him under the circumstances? Um, I, I do remember that happening. I remember it was Dick Green. Remember, he didn't get a hit the whole series. Yeah. And he made the throw. That got him. That was out at third. Perfect throw, by the way. Um, but I remember, no, under I, the circumstances, though, he should not have been going for third. And he, uh, I think, even uh, listening to the Vin Scully call, he was uh, sort of mortified. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I can't believe Buckner's going to third. <laughs> 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 That's great. Can you believe that we're yeah, talking about Vinny? <laughs> Can you believe we're talking about Vinny and Tommy, and they're both in their nineties right now? That's ridiculous. I know. I know. It's yeah, crazy. I was in the object. Remember the seventies, Teddy, when uh, there was no uh, TV. Of course. So everybody brought their radios yep. to the ballpark. You did it. Everybody did, and you could hear the game everywhere. So yep. one day. I'm in the on-deck circle, and I hear Vinny mention my name. And so I think, well, I'll listen in. He says, and Vinny says, well, there's two out, nobody on here in the bottom of the eighth inning. No chance for the Dodgers to score, so manager Alston will let push your exit and save Moto for the ninth. He says, I think it's interesting to note that Bushork is making an obscene gesture to someone in the crowd. I wonder who that could be. He should be paying more attention to that 140 batting average he has as he stands at home plate. And the next thing you hear is, here's the pitch to Bushork, and I'll be back with the top of the ninth right after these words from Farmer John, Bologna, and Polska Kielbasa. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I am balanced on that. Semi true. <laughs> if I, you know, I don't even give a damn if I, it's true. It's too damn funny. Uh, I always told Motive, if it wasn't for me, uh, you would never have set that pinch hitting record because all you could hear was Vinny saying, "Now batting for Pashorek, Manny Moda, number eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Manny's still there. Yeah, he's uh, and he's uh, he's on this he's podcast actually. Yeah. 
He'll be on this podcast because I talked to him oh, about great. Billy Buck. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Along great. with Tommy, by the way. Tommy gave yeah. me a few minutes, and he ran into Ishmael Valdez for the first time since uh, they they were together in, I don't know, a couple of decades. And uh, it was it's really pretty funny. You, you might even want to listen to yourself after this. Oh, oh sure. I'd love to. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's wrap this up talking about Buck and uh, Buck the man and and uh, how difficult it was the past year or so. And it's nice to know that you guys stayed in touch over the years. Yeah, yeah, Buck. And uh, there is a, a planned uh, a ceremony for commemorating Buck on the, later on this month in, uh, in Boise. And I'm hoping that uh, a, a, a great number of guys who were associated with Buck or who loved him like a, like a brother will be there. And uh, you know, pay our our, our our tribute to he and his family because he really was a great guy, and uh, dealt um, really a bad uh, sickness. I mean, you know that Willie uh, body dementia is something that's coming into the uh, uh, it's something that people never even have heard about until a few celebrities like Buck or high profile guys and Robin Williams, Ted Turner. Um, have been affected by this, the great Stan Makita and Jerry Sloan. Yep. So it's becoming more evident, and they just, right now, they have no uh, known cure for it. And that, and it's very debilitating uh, physically and mentally, and, and I'm sure that Buck fought it as hard as he could because Billy Buckner was a fighter and uh, a wonderful guy, and uh, he's truly going to be missed. Really a, a strong competitor. I just remember his, oh. I mean, even the look on his face sometime was like, <laughs> it was almost overwhelming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He, uh, he, uh, he was a, just a great battler. And, and I really contend that, uh, well, even though his numbers might not indicate Hall of Fame, he, they would have had he not played with uh, such a severe ankle injury. Absolutely. Uh, oh, he would have had 3,000 hits anyway, right? Oh, he would have had, he, I think he might have had 4,000. Because <laughs> the way, if he could run, yes. you know, he would have, uh, and, and the, the, the ability he had not to strike out. Exactly. I mean, good grief. If he struck out, that was a major embarrassment to him. I love when you said he you struck know, out 18 times in one year. Guys strike out 18 times in a week now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, well, he won the batting title for the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, that year, he he struck out 18 times, and I'm sure he had close to 700 plate appearances, which is which is unbelievable. And so, you know, but hitters like him come around very uh, infrequently. Guys like the George Bretts, the uh, the Tony Gwynns, and uh, and the Billy Buckners, uh, you know, and I and I put Buck right in that category Absolutely. with uh, with those two great ones. He and, always you know, reminded me a little bit of uh, Stan Musial, who's before my time, but I saw him at the end of his career, sort of that just uh, always putting the bat on the ball and hard. Yeah, and a little bit of a crouch, too. Yep. And, uh, yeah, buckle. And, you know, and the one thing, too, if there any kids out there, to choke up on the bat. That's exactly. That's why he had such great back control. Yep. Why, one of the reasons why he never struck out. You see these kids, you know, I'm watching a college game right now. Everybody's got the wide open stance. They've got the fingers over the knobs. They're pointing the bat at the pitcher, and they're looping the bat. And it doesn't make any sense to me. We're going to have know? to and, save a separate podcast just to talk about baseball and what's going on these days because right. I would love <laughs> to get your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. That would be great. That would be great to do. Absolutely. It's so good to hear your voice again, Tommy. It's been a long time. 
Thanks, Teddy. It's great talking to you again, buddy. Absolutely. Get to see you soon. That would be nice. Well, let me know when you're coming to town and the 68 Dodger draft will live on forever. Ever. You got it, man. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Teddy. Our thanks again to Steve Garvey, Ron Say, Bill Russell, Manny Mota, and Tom Pachorek as we highlight the greatest draft class in the history of baseball, 1968. And don't forget to join us again next week when Tommy Lasorda and Bobby Valentine will be with me as we talk more about that great draft class and the late Bill Buckner. So until then, I am still Ted Sobel. Thanks for joining us here on Touching Greatness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.